today's reading from the book of Acts begins with something that sounds ordinary, but is actually one of the most important sentences in the New Testament. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. There was a disciple whose name was Tabitha. This sentence is significant not because both of those names are fairly terrible, but because this is the only time in the entire New Testament in which a woman is called a disciple. The only feminine form of the word disciple in the New Testament. Tabitha is a disciple. She's not a follower of Jesus, a friend of Jesus, but a disciple. On the same level as Peter or Paul, Simon, Andrew, she's one of the disciples, a leader of the Christian community. The text says that Tabitha, which is the name I will use because it's marginally less awful than Dorcas, was devoted to good works and to charity. When she dies, she's mourned by the widows of the community who show Peter the clothes she has made. There's a lot implied in the little fact that the widows are the ones that mourn Tabitha. Widows in ancient Palestine were incredibly vulnerable. If your husband died and you had no children, you could marry one of his brothers. Or if you did have children, or particularly if you had sons, one of your sons could take you in. Your daughters couldn't because they weren't seen as having their own households. So if you didn't have sons, and if you didn't have brothers-in-law, you had nothing. There was no social safety net for you. You were on the street, probably begging or selling yourself. And this is why the Gospels make such a big deal of the story of Jesus raising a widow's only son from the dead. Because if that son had stayed in the grave, she was as good as dead too. She would have had nowhere to go if her only son died. In saving the son, Jesus also saved the widow. In his ministry, Jesus made clear that Christians were supposed to take particular care of widows. And in the early church, they took this instruction and used it to turn society's rules upside down. They took widows, this very vulnerable and usually ignored group, and gave them very high status in the church. They were made leaders. Widows of the church were supported materially by the community. They were given food, clothing, places to live. There are very high standards to qualify as an official Christian widow. Paul gets very worked up about it in places. He worries that they're gossiping too much, not paying enough attention. Because this special high-status group of women effectively functioned as clergy for the women of the early church. Remember, this was a very gender-segregated society. A woman wouldn't go sit alone with a male elder for counseling. She'd go see one of the widows. An elder couldn't prepare a woman for baptism. One of the widows did that. And the home was seen as a feminine sphere. So widows ended up doing the work of hands-on service for the early church. They seem to have been the ones who visited the sick in their homes who sat with the dying, who brought food to the homes of the hungry. 
Scholars suggest that Tabitha, the only woman in scripture who is officially called a disciple, might have been a leader of a group of widows, a leader distinguished by her capacity for compassion and loving service of others. The reaction to her death shows that she lived a life of caring for other people. She wasn't doing the showy stuff. She did the quiet work of transforming widows who had been ostracized into leaders of the church. She made clothes for people who didn't have any, and as Luke says, she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. That was the shape, that was the focus of her life, serving and empowering other people to serve. She's not listed among the the women who financially supported the ministries of Peter or Paul. From what we know of her, she didn't leave behind wealth or riches. She left behind a pile of clothing made with her own hands for women who needed it, and a group of women who used to be outcasts but now felt loved. They felt loved and also strong enough to order two of the male disciples to make sure they brought Peter to her bedside. And so Peter came. Maybe he knew Tabitha by reputation. Maybe he was smart and didn't want to cross a group of powerful women. But he came. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he raised Tabitha from the dead. And so her ministry symbolically lives on that ministry of unassuming, compassionate service to other people. Living that kind of life, the life that Tabitha seems to have led, a life focused on others, has tremendous power. And living that kind of life requires great inner resources. Forgive the overused metaphor, but the acts of service are the sort of third of the iceberg that you see above the water. To live that kind of life you have to have most of the iceberg under the surface. That's the life of prayer and of devotion and of self-care that it takes to live a life that's dedicated to serving other people. You have to have an inner life centered on the divine, centered on the love of God. You have to have a practice of caring for yourself, body and soul. Otherwise, resentment builds up quickly and you burn out. We can all think of examples. That's part of what makes the Tabithas of the world so impressive, knowing that their kindness and their compassion are supported by deep prayer and self-care. The life of service isn't a life of weakness or self-effacement. It's a life of tremendous dignity and power. It's funny, we as a culture talk a lot about how much we value service, how much we value people giving to others. But when you think about it, For the most part, our heroes and heroines are not the Tabithas of the world. That kind of life doesn't win you a lot of attention and praise. We know a lot about Mark Zuckerberg and how much money he's given to the Newark school system, and that's a wonderful thing. But how often do we think about the teachers in Newark who are putting that money to use, who have given their lives to service of those children who are in distress? But the people who live Tabitha lives, maybe you can think of some in your own life, they have an inner light, they have a joy, they have a balance that I envy, that I want in my own life, that I think we all want. The kind of life that Tabitha lived was a life of humility, compassion, and giving, 
It was a life where leadership didn't mean power and prestige. It meant empowering other people for service. It's funny, on the one hand, Christianity is so easy, and and thank God for that. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how often we fall short, we are loved. It's not about what we do. There's nothing we need to do to earn God's love. But on the other hand, Christianity offers us a very difficult challenge, the challenge of a Tabitha life, a life that's about something larger than ourselves, a life dedicated to serving others. Living that kind of life, which I manage to do for about five minutes every other month, requires a deep life of prayer. It requires a powerful sense that we're loved, a commitment to caring for ourselves as we care for others. It's a life of power, a life of strength. It might not win very much attention or praise, but a Tabitha life, imagine an entire community of people living that kind of life, has the potential to change the world, the potential to transform the world with the love of God. So let's try it together. Let's encourage one another to live lives of service, lives of compassion and humility. You all in this room do so much for others already, and I've seen the power of transformation that it has. Let's continue to encourage one another to cultivate lives of service. Because Tabitha, after all, wasn't the first person to live this way. This is also the life that Jesus modeled for us, saying, Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your servant, because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Amen.